please take your Bibles and turn to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. As we begin this epilogue, this last section, Jason kind of wrapped up the last vision of the new creation last week in the first five verses of 22. And this week we turn to Jesus' last words to his church, these final exhortations. It's a glorious little passage here at the end. Well, I want to read verses 6 to 21, but our focus tonight will simply be on verses 6 to 13. And then next week will be our last sermon in Revelation. So, Revelation 22, 6, all the way to the end of the chapter. And let me remind you once again, this is the word of our living and holy God. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants What must soon take place? And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous shall do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. To repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that your grace has appeared to us in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given himself for us, has called us out of darkness to live a life that is holy and devoted to to you, Lord. 
Now, Lord, because we are new creations and desire to do your will, we eagerly wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we wait, please give us patience, patience and endurance as we wait for our Lord to return and finish what he started. Help us endure in a way that glorifies your great name and help us preach the gospel so that those that are dying in this world without hope may know you and trust you and worship you in the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I checked this week just to verify. I wanted to double check, but believe it or not, we have been in Revelation now for just over a year and a half. Probably kind of shocking in some ways. I know it's probably nothing for some of you. You're like, come on, we were in Hebrews for at least twice that long, right? But we've been in Revelation for a year and eight months, which is a big deal. And I hope at least by this time, you have a decent understanding of this book. If you've been with us on the Sunday evenings, you know the basic themes, you know the cycles, you know how it all kind of divides up. And I hope you would be able to at least summarize the book in some sense. In fact, what I would love to do tonight, which we're not going to be able to do, but I would love to sit down with each one of you and ask this very simple question. What is the purpose of Revelation? What's the goal of this book? You don't have to answer that out loud. You can talk to me later about it. But what's the purpose of this book? After all we've studied and all we've learned, why did our Lord give Revelation to the church? It's a really important question. I think some people would probably say, well, Jesus gave us this book to teach us. There's so many scripture references, and this book really shows us how all those scriptures come together in this beautiful conclusion of history. And we learn a lot about the rest of the Bible simply in the book of Revelation. I'm sure some would probably say, well, Jesus gave us this book to prepare us, to prepare us to suffer, to show us what kind of tribulation and judgment and difficulty were in our future. I think there's a lot of truth to both of these answers. In many ways, you can think of these as the main point, but I don't think they're the main point. Because when Jesus kind of gives his last words of this book, he doesn't return to more visions, more quotes from the Old Testament. He doesn't even return to persecution and suffering. Now, I bet a lot of us would probably say, no, 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 Jesus gave us this book to encourage us, to help us along the way. He wanted to give us this picture of the glory and the security to come in the new heavens and new earth. And I definitely agree. These last few chapters have been so glorious, such a blessing, some of the best chapters in all of scripture. But again, if this was the point of the book to just point to the future, then I think the book should have ended in verse five last week. Look at verse 5 with me. After giving this wonderful description of the new creation as the new Eden, the angel says this, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Doesn't that sound like they will live happily ever after? Sounds like a great ending to this book. But instead, it doesn't end there. Jesus actually turns and begins to remind his church and command them of things he's already said. Why? Because the point of this book isn't primarily, don't get me wrong here, it's not primarily just to teach us about the Bible. It's not primarily just to teach us how we're going to suffer or encourage us about some time in the future. 
Jesus is coming back to what this book is all about. And what that is, is to motivate us to live holy lives right now. And next week, and the rest of this year, and the rest of our lives. That's what this book has always been about. That's what it always comes back to. I believe these last 15 verses, really, Jesus is giving us one very clear command. He's commanding his church to be holy, to live a holy life right now. Why? Because he's coming soon. That's what this book's about. That's what this book was meant to do in the church, to remind us to live for God, to live a holy life, because Jesus is coming to judge and to save. Now, to show you that this is what Jesus is driving at, I want to focus on two commandments tonight in these first few verses here. And they're basically just kind of further clarifications of what it means to be holy. So the first one is this. It's be holy, how? By keeping God's word. Be holy by keeping God's word. We see that from verse 6 to verse 9. And then the second commandment is to be holy by preaching God's word. Preaching God's word. Or in the language of this text is kind of unsealing. Don't seal up the word. That's the language that the angel uses here. So first, be holy by keeping God's word. And this command doesn't come in verse 6. It actually comes right after the beginning of verse 7 with this blessed Look at verse 7 with me. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What blessings is Jesus talking about here? Well, it's the blessings that we've been talking about for these last few weeks. The context here is clearly the blessings of the new creation. The blessings of the new Jerusalem. The new temple. The new Eden. All these wonderful blessings of communion with our God. That God will be our God and we will be his people forever. Blessings of complete security, unfading glory, and perfect, perpetual holiness. Everything we've seen, those are the blessings Jesus is talking about here. And we know from the last few weeks and really the rest of the book and the rest of the Bible, these blessings only come by looking to Christ in faith. But John says these blessings go to those who what? Keep the words of this book. What does he mean by that? How can we keep the words of this book? I think probably a lot of us just automatically assume, well, that just means to obey, right? That just means we need to observe the law, to follow God's word. And I, you're on the right track there. There's part of it there. The Bible talks about obeying God's word all the time. And some of the last words of our Savior when he was on earth were to obey his commandments, weren't they? You remember the Great Commission, At the end of the book of Matthew, go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them, and then what? Teaching them to obey, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, yes, the obedience is essential to the Christian life. We're called to obey. But does that then mean we go back through Revelation because it says to keep God's word, to obey God's word, and we just look for all the commands? We just pull out the commands and forget the visions, forget the encouragements, forget all these images of Scripture. We just work really hard to obey those commands. Of course not. He wouldn't have given us in this form if that's what he's talking about. So keep has to mean, it does mean obey, but it means so much more. To keep God's word means to preserve, to remember, to cherish God's word. And I believe even to treasure God's word. Actually, I think what 
the angel is doing here is he calling out the words of Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy. You remember Deuteronomy was given to God's people before they entered the promised land. As they were doing this kind of covenant renewal and remembering the law, Moses gives them instructions about the word. And now the angel's using the same language. This is Deuteronomy 11. You don't have to turn there. Listen to what Moses says. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart. What does that mean? Love them. Cherish them. And on your soul, deep down, right? Hold this in your heart. Hide this in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. That's the symbol of your, the word of God is this remembrance. It's, it affects everything you touch, everything you do. It's a symbol of the word of God is part of your whole life. You shall teach your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house and when you walk around on the road, while you lie down and while you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, the words of the covenant, the words of God, are to be a part of your whole life. Yes, obey them, but treasure them, love them, pass them on to the next generation so that my people do not forget my words. Then Moses says something very interesting. Listen to this. It's 11.22 in Deuteronomy. For if you are careful to keep... There's the same language in verse in uh, Revelation 22. If you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do, and what's that, Moses? To love the Lord your God. So it's more than just obeying and to walk in his ways and hold fast to him. There's the obedience. Then listen, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you. And you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. You see what God's teaching his people? In Deuteronomy here, Moses is saying, look, if you keep the words of God, God will bless you with the promised land. You will live long in the land. And now Jesus is taking the same language in Revelation 22 and saying, if you keep the words of this prophecy, you will be blessed with the eternal promised land, the new creation, the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new Eden. Those are the blessings that come to those who keep these words. Now, we have to be careful to distinguish here. I do not mean by keep that somehow in our keeping, we are earning this blessing. We've talked about this a lot in Revelation, right? Keeping or obedience doesn't merit the blessings of the end. It doesn't merit the new creation. No, keeping is a consequence of the salvation that we have in Christ by looking to Christ. Remember, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved to them which is what Ephesians 2.10 says. Right after Paul says, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, do you remember what he says? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I hope you can see the picture here that's happening. If we are trusting in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, then we recognize right away that we have failed to keep God's word, haven't we? We recognize that we have already fallen short of the glory of God, and we recognize that Christ had to come to keep it in our place, to love the law, obey the law, to keep the law to the end. We see him do this all throughout his life. We especially see it in the wilderness as he uses the words of Deuteronomy to fight Satan. And then at the end of his life, he paid the debt that we owed for our sin and rose from the dead, saving us 
from Satan, sin, and death for good. And if we look to him in faith, we are new creations. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are new temples. And guess what we do? We will keep God's law. We will obey. We will love. We'll grow in that love as God sanctifies us. It's exactly what Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the consequence of our trusting in him. Looking to faith in Christ. That's what we're called to do here. And then we look to faith in Christ and then we go and love God, worship God, obey God's law, cherish God's law. See, in essence, this is a call to trust and obey, isn't it? It's a call to look through this image, which, by the way, this is the revelation of Christ. Look through these words to Christ. Trust him for the forgiveness of sins. Obey and worship. That's what we're being called to here. How do we know that for sure? Because John actually illustrates it for us in the very next verse. He illustrates it in a negative way, kind of showing us what not to do first. It's a little bit funny, but look at verse 8. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. That's John signing his name to this book. I'm the witness. I can verify that this is true. And then listen to what he does next. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. Who showed them to me? This is an interesting situation. I don't know what happened. John is getting caught up maybe in the moment in this command to keep God's word or the glories of the new creation that he's been seeing over these last few chapters. And we don't really know his motive, but somehow John begins to worship this angelic messenger. Think about this for a second. Why would John put this in here? Why would he include this? If I were him, this is probably the detail I would leave out. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? That an apostle of God surely knows the Ten Commandments, probably knows the first one pretty well, and the second one should not be worshiping this angel right after he was told to keep God's word and he's bowing down to worship this angel? What's going on here? Well, John is actually keeping this in here as an illustration of what not to do so that he can share the angel's words That will give us clarification on what it means to keep, keep God's words. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who what? Keep the words of this book. Angels say, no, John, you missed it. This is the exact opposite of what I've commanded you to do. Don't worship me. Yes, I'm, I'm an angel, I'm glorious in one sense, but I am a creature. I'm a fellow servant like you and like all the prophets before you. No, no, direct your worship to God. Love God, cherish and remember his law, obey his law. And how do we do that? Look at the last words of this angel. Worship God. That's in essence what it means to keep God's word, isn't it? To trust him, worship God. Lay your life before him and obey him. And that's what John is being called to here as he's commanding the whole church to follow what the angel told him to do. Now, I'm sure this would have been a very tough command for God's people at this time to keep. Not because this was such a a hard command to understand, to keep God's word, or it was so difficult to practice. But because we know this command to obey, this command to keep God's word, to worship God, would have been very costly for them. 
Right, we see that. You remember the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, these first letters of the church, they're filled with all kinds of idolatry. And the church is getting so much pressure to worship these false gods of Rome. People are telling them over and over again, bow down and worship these gods if you want to keep your job. If you want to be part of these trade guilds and be able to provide for your family, put food on the table, you bow down to worship these gods. You keep the ways of the world if you don't want to suffer and die at the hands of the beast. That's what we see over and over again through the book of Revelation, don't we? And you know a lot's changed in 2,000 years, but this surely hasn't. Keeping God's word, worshiping God alone, still comes at a cost, doesn't it? Pretty severe cost, even in our world. And you know what? You don't even have to be old to know that. Kids, I'll bet you're already experiencing this. There is so much pressure on you to live like the world. You don't even have to go to public school to feel that, by the way. Turn on the radio, turn on the TV, open a book, and just be a part of this world watching advertisements. There's so much pressure on you, even from a young age, to talk like the world, think like the world, dress like the world, to love the things of this world more than you love God. And you might even learn from a very early age that if you keep God's law, it may cost you friendships. It may cost you reputation. It could cost you grades in class if you're not willing to cut corners and sneak by like other people might. It will certainly cost you your comfort in the immediate sense, maybe even in the ultimate sense, as you obey God's call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It comes as a cost to keep God's law. When adults, we probably know this already by experience, don't we? Maybe some of you are in difficult marriages tough, broken relationships. You're seeking to obey God's word when it says, love your enemies as Christ has loved you. Or maybe you're the one that blew up the relationship in the first place. And you're suffering the cost of now trying to walk in repentance while no one trusts you. It comes as a cost to do what God's word says. Maybe some of you are even struggling financially, trying to give generously, or not taking a job that would pull you away from God's people, either pull you out of corporate worship or pull you away from the body of Christ. And you know what? Here's the thing with keeping God's word. The longer we keep God's word, the more costly it becomes. And I'm sure there are days for every single one of us where we think to ourselves, is this worth it? Can I really trust God's word, when it costs me every single time I follow it, every single time I submit to it, how in the world can this be true when the whole world thinks I'm just a crazy lunatic for following it? Keeping God's word comes at a tremendous cost. But here's how Jesus responds. Listen to what the angel says about the word here. Verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy. And true. How do we know that? And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, in other words, the God who inspired the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. You see what's being said here? Saying, how do we know this word is true? Because this word was passed down from God to an angel, to John, to us. And the same God that inspired the prophets is the same God that works through this word, that inspired it every step of the way and preserved it so that we have it here. So that means it's authentic. We can trust God's word. 
We can cherish it and keep it even though it costs us. Because we know it's just as trustworthy and true as the God who gave it. And we know we can trust that God will keep his word and send his son to finish what he started. That's the first command, to be holy by keeping God's word. Let's look at the second now in verse 10, which is to be holy by preaching or not sealing up God's word. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Now, this is actually a reference to Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, the last days in Daniel. Now, if you've been with us and studied Revelation with us, you know John goes back to Daniel almost every chapter. He's constantly referring to Daniel because Daniel is looking at the same realities. Daniel's looking at the end, and so much of the vision that John presents matches Daniel's almost perfectly. They're parallel visions. But here, at the end of Revelation, there's going to be a clear contrast between the response of these two visions. Listen to what the angel tells Daniel to do in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. It says, the angel said to Daniel, go your way, Daniel. Why? For these words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. He just says, seal this up, Daniel. Do not proclaim it. Do not unveil it right now. The time has not come for these things to come true. And what does the angel tell John here? The exact opposite, right? Verse 10, do not seal up. Don't seal these words up, the words of the prophecy of this book. Now is the time to preach it, John. Now is the time to teach it, to let the world know what God's plan is. You see, this matches so well with everything we've seen in Revelation. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we see Jesus unsealing the scroll, revealing God's plan of salvation through judgment, confirming once again that we are in the last days, Hebrews 1-2 says. In the last days right now, the days that John and Daniel were both looking at. And how do we know that for sure? Well, listen to what happens in the last days. This is Daniel 12. Listen to what he says. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. See what the angel's telling Daniel? Daniel, in these last days when this seal is broken and this is preached, sure, some will repent. Some will cleanse themselves. And we know they'll cleanse themselves by trusting in Jesus, but some will be hardened. The wicked will continue to be wicked. And look at what Revelation says, verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. It's almost exactly what Daniel heard in Daniel 12. His prophecy is coming true. Why? Because this is the last days. These are the days when the gospel is being preached to the ends of the earth. And what happens when the gospel is preached? Two things, every time. Judgment and salvation. When the gospel is preached, people are judged. The wicked will be hardened. They will continue to do wickedness. But some will be saved. Those that have been made holy by faith in Christ will continue to grow in holiness. We see this, by the way, all the way starting in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? You remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus' disciples asked, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? This is kind of a strange way to teach. What are you doing? What's the purpose behind your teaching in parables? 
And Jesus responds a lot like Daniel and what we see here in Revelation and even Isaiah. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 13, 13. Jesus says, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus is saying, look, when I preach the gospel, it is a fork in the road for people. Some will be hardened. We see that happen in the gospels. They won't understand. They won't see, but others, their hearts will be softened by the spirit. They will see, they will trust, they will obey. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16, and talking about how people respond to the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. And to the other, fragrance from life to life. You realize this is what happens every time the gospel is preached. It's a dangerous thing to sit under the word of God. There are times when I think about like, let's just wrap this room in caution tape to remind us what we're actually doing here. Of course, it's dangerous to never hear the word of God, but every time you're confronted with the word of God, what the pastor's laying out, what the word of God shows us is salvation and judgment, life and death. And some will be saved. Some will grow in holiness and others will be hardened. That's what's so amazing to me about verse 11. Verse 11 is not a prophecy. In Daniel, verse 11 is a prophecy. These things will happen at the end of time, Daniel. Some will be hardened, some will be saved, but verse 11, if you read it carefully, is a command. Right? Let the evildoer still do evil. And it's implied there, let the filthy still be filthy. What's going on there? God is commanding people to continue in wickedness? Wouldn't God command the wicked to repent? What God is saying is that this is the time where what Daniel saw and what John sees is happening. And I'm commanding you to make a decision. See, when we present the gospel, it presents two very clear paths, two ways to live. He calls us to repent, to trust in Christ, to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God, this life and this blessing to come in the new creation. And for everyone else, he basically says, do what you want. Have it your way. He will turn us over to the sins that we desire. We may choose what we think are blessings now, but they're storing up wrath for ourselves for the day of judgment to come. C.S. Lewis puts this beautifully in The Great Divorce, one of my favorite Lewis books. But he says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Listen carefully here. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Those are the righteous. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. That's what it's saying here. Turning them over to their sin, they're growing in their own wickedness. You know what? The same choice is presented to us right now. We've studied the book of Revelation. We've seen this glorious picture of salvation and judgment time and time and time again. Seven cycles of it. Christ stands before us just like every single time we hear the word as the fork in the road. Calling us, as Joshua says, choose this day who you will follow. Choose this day who you will bow the knee to. Repent, trust in the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. Keep his word, preach his word. That's the command here. Or give yourself to this world. Give yourself over to this world and judgment will come. And the reality is, as we see in this text, 
It'll be here sooner than you think. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. That's the constant refrain to this whole passage. We saw it in verse 7. We see it here again in verse 12. Happens two more times at the end. I am coming soon. To do what? Bringing my recompense with me. To repay each one. No one escapes this judgment. For what he has done. No deed escapes this judgment. And what gives Christ the right to do this? Verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. See what Jesus is saying. I'm not just trustworthy and true. I am. But I'm also the creator and the consummator. I made this world. And I will bring this world to an end in judgment and in recreation. And I will do it soon. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Heed these words. Listen to these words. I don't care if it's the first time you've heard this or the two millionth time you've heard this. Christ is on our doorstep. Christ is coming soon, which means there's nothing left for him to do but return and judge. That's the picture we're given here. Make sure you're ready for that day. Repent. Walk in holiness. Keep God's word. Preach God's word. And then turn and worship with the saints. Respond even now at the end of the service and sing together with the saints. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass. For I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts to receive it. Lord, in our own flesh, in our own strength, we have no ability to obey. We have no ability to hear and respond to your word. But we pray, Father, as you have been faithful to save your people, you would call us to repentance and you would grant that repentance by changing our hearts. Enable us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to keep your word, to preach your word, so that others may believe. And Lord, so that your son will be worshipped when he comes soon. Lord, help us long for that day with eager expectation and hope. And let us be motivated by the nearness of your son's coming to worship you and live for you right now. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.